So we'll pick it back up at chapter 21, verse 10, the journey to Moab. The Israelites set out and camped at Oboth. They set out from Oboth and camped at Ai Abarim in the wilderness bordering Moab toward the sunrise. When they, from there they set out and camped in the Wadi Zered. From there they set out and camped on the other side of Arnon in the wilderness that extends from the boundary of the Amorites for the Arnon is the boundary of Moab between Moab and Amorites. Wherefore, it is said in the book of the wars of the Lord, Waheb in Sufa and the Wadis and the Arnon and the slopes of the Wadis that extend to the seat of Ar and lie along the border of Moab. From there, they continued to Beer. That is where, that is the well of which the Lord said to Moses, gather the people together and I will give them water. Then Israel sang this song, spring up a well, sing to it. The well that the leaders sank, that the nobles of the people dug with the scepter, with the staff. From the wilderness to Matanah, from Matanah to Nahaliel, and from Nahaliel to Bamoth, and from Bamoth to the valley lying in the region of Moab by the top of Pisgah that overlooks the wasteland. Then Israel sent messengers to King Sihon of the Amorites, saying, Let me pass through your land. We will not turn aside into field. Oh, no, wait, did we read that? Or no, that already happened. That was a different that that was a separate one. So yeah. this is going to happen again. Um, let me pass through your land. We will not turn aside into field or vineyard. We will not drink the water of any well. We will go by the king's highway until we have passed through your territory. But Sihon would not allow Israel to pass through his territory. Sihon gathered his people together and went out against Israel to the wilderness. He came to Jahaz and fought against Israel. Israel put him to the sword and took possession of his land from the Arnon to the Jebuk, as far as the Ammonites. From the boundary of the Ammonites was strong. Israel took all these towns, and Israel settled in all these towns of the Amorites, in Heshbon and in the villages. For Heshbon was the, king, uh, or was the city of King Sihon of the Amorites, who had fought against the former king of Moab and captured all his land as far as the Arnon, Therefore, the ballad singers say, Come to Heshbon, let it be built, let the city of Sihon be established. For fire came out from Heshbon, flame from the city of Sihon. It devoured air of Moab and swallowed up the heights of the Arnon. Woe to you, O Moab! You are undone, O people of Chemosh. He has made, he has made his sons fugitives and his daughters captives to an Amorite king, Sihon. So their prosperity perished from Heshbon to deep. Dibon, and we laid waste until fire spread to Mediba. Thus Israel settled in the land of the Amorites. Moses sent to spy out Jazer, and they captured its villages and dis dispossessed the Amorites who were there. Then they turned and went up the road to Bashan, and King Og of Bashan came out against them, he and all his people, to battle at Edri. But the Lord said to Moses, do not be afraid of him, for I have given him into your hand with all his people and all his land. You shall do to him as you did to King Sihon of the Amorites, who ruled in Heshbon. So they killed him, his sons and all his people, until there was no survivor left, and they took possession of his land. All right, the march continues. Can someone pick up at 22? Mm -hmm. 
Then the people of Israel set out and encamped in the plains of Moab, beyond the Jordan at Jericho. And Balak, the son of Zippor, saw all that Israel had done to the Amorites, and the Moab was in great dread of the peoples, because there were so many. Moab was overcome with fear of the people of Israel. And Moab said to the elders of Midian, this horde will now lick up all that is round about us, as the ox licks up the grass in, of the field. So Balak, the son of Zippor, who was king of Moab at that time, sent messengers to Balaam, the son of Beor, at Presthor, uh, which is near the river in the land of Amwa to call him, saying, Behold, the people has come out of Egypt. They cover their face of the earth, and they are dwelling opposite me. Come now, cure this people for me, since they are too mighty for me. Perhaps I shall be able to defeat them and drive them from the land, for I know that he whom uh, you bless is blessed, and he whom you curse is cursed. So the elders of Moab and the elders of Midian departed with these for divination in their hand, and they came to Balaam, and they gave him Balak's message, and he said to them, Lodge here this night, and I will bring back word to you as the Lord speaks to me. So the prince of Moab stayed in Balaam, and God came to Balaam and said, Who are these men with you? And Balaam said to God, Balak, the son of Zippor, king of Moab, was sent to me, saying, Behold, a people has come out of Egypt, and it covers the face of the earth. Now come, curse them for me. Perhaps I shall be able to fight against them and drive them out. God said to Balaam, you shall not go with them. You shall not curse the people, for they are blessed. So Balaam rose in the morning and said to the prince of Bach, Go to your own land, for the Lord has uh, refused to let me go to you. So the prince of Moab rose and went to Balak and said, Balaam refuses to come out with us. Once again, Balak sent princes, sent princes more in number and more honorable than they. And they came to Balaam, and they said to him, Thus says Balak, the son of Zippor, Let nothing hinder you from coming to me, for I will surely do you great honor, and whatever you say to me, I will do. Come curse this people for me. But Balaam answered and said to the servants of Balak, Though Balak were to give me his house full of silver and gold, I could not go beyond the command of the Lord my God to do less or more. Pray now, tarry here this night also, that I may know what more the Lord will say to me. And God came to Balaam that night and said to him, If the men who called, come to call you, rise, go with them. But only what I bid you, uh, that shall you do. 
So Balaam rose in the morning and sat his ass and went with the prince to Moab. But God, God's anger was kindled because he went. And the angel of the Lord took his stand in the way of his adversity, of his adversary. Now he was riding on an ass, and his two servants were with him. And the ass saw the angel of the Lord standing in the road with a drawn sword in his hand. And the ass turned aside out of the road and went into the field. And Malam struck the ass to turn her into the road. Then the angel of the Lord stood in a narrow path between the vineyard uh, with a wall on either side. And when the ass saw the angel of the Lord, she pushed against the wall and pressed Balaam's foot against the wall. So he struck her again. Then the angel of the Lord went ahead and stood in a narrow place where there was no way to turn either to the right or to the left. When the ass saw the angel of the Lord, she lay down under the Balaam, and Balaam's anger was uh, kindled, and he struck the ass with his staff. Then the Lord opened the mouth of the ass, and she said to Balaam, What have I done to you that you have struck me in these three times? And Balaam said to the ass, Because you have made sport of me. I wish I had a sword in my hand, for then I would kill you. And the ass said to Balaam, Am I not your ass, upon which you have ridden all your life long to this day? Was I ever accustomed to do so to you? And he said, No. Then the Lord opened his eyes of Balaam, and he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way with his uh, his drawn sword in his hand, and he bowed his head and fell on his face. And the angel of the Lord said to him, Why have you struck your ass these three times? Behold, I have come forth to withstand you, because your way is perverse before me. And the ass saw me and turned aside before me these three times. If she had not turned aside from me, surely just now, I would have slain you and let her live. Then Balaam said to the angel of the Lord, I have sinned, for I did not know that, that uh, thou dost stand in the road against me. Now therefore, if it is evil in thy sight, I will go back again. And the angel of the Lord said to Balaam, Go with the men but only the word which I had you, that shall you speak. So Balaam went on with the prince of Balak. When Balak heard that Balaam had come, he went out to meet him in, at the city of Moab on the boundary formed by the Aaron, at the extremities of the boundary. And Balak said to Balaam, did I not send you to you to call you? Why did you not come to me? Am I not able to honor you? Balaam said to Balak, Lo, I have come to you. Have I now any power at all to speak anything? The word that God puts in my, in my mouth, that must I speak. Then Balaam went to Balak, and they 
came to Shirathes, um, Zoth, and Balak sacrificed ox and sheep and sent to Balaam and to the prince who were with him. And on the morrow, Balak took Balaam and brought him to the Baamoth Balak. And from there he saw the nearest of the people. So let's let's pause there to bring this story back into focus. So this is the one of the famous stories, right? This is the talking talking donkey, talking ass story, right? Of Balaam. So did who is Balaam? It's a little unclear from the reading, but who does he seem to be? Some kind of a messenger. Yeah, messenger, prophet, diviner. Um, God speaks through him. He's not an Israelite, um, so he's a non-Israelite. But he has this relationship where he can hear and, and speak for God almost as a, as a prophet. Um, so that's that's one thing to know about him. Um, when first approached and in consultation with the king, so what is this, what is this other king, um, Balak? What does he want to do with the Israelites? He wants to fight. He wants to fight, right? And what is Balaam's first message back to Balak? Uh, let, me, let me talk to God. So he's gonna he talks to God and but the and the message that comes back is the Israelites are a blessed people, don't do this. Right? So he's he's a non-Israelite, but he has this conversational relationship with God. Um, what do we make of the donkey episode? God can speak through any anything that he wants. Yeah, so there's there's that portion. I mean it's just a it's it's a strange story in that sense. So the the word of God that comes to Balaam is that he is to um, go when he's summoned, and he doesn't do that first, right? And the, and the king kind of comes back and, and talks about this. So um, halfway through the 22nd chapter, that night God came to Balaam and said to him, if the men have come to you, summon you, get up and go with them, but do not only, but do only what I tell you to do. So Balaam got up in the morning, saddled his donkey and went with the officials. Okay, but God's anger was kindled because he was going and the angel of the Lord took his stand in the road as his adversary. Now he was riding on the donkey and his two servants were with him. The donkey saw the angel of the Lord standing in the road with a drawn sword in his hand. So the donkey turned off the road and went into the field. Um, so the donkey sees the angel first. It's kind of interesting. Um, so the donkey is responsive to God. Um, I, I don't know what to make of the donkey, to be honest. It's kind of just, it's a strange story. Um, but it it winds up that he does meet then with Balak. Um, and that's just kind of where we're at. So this is the donkey story. But picking up at chapter 23. Then Balaam said to Balak, build me seven altars here and prepare seven bulls and seven rams for me. Balak did as Balaam had said, and Balak and Balaam offered a bull and a ram on each altar. 
Then Balaam said to Balak, Stay here beside your burnt offerings while I go aside. Perhaps the Lord will come to meet me. Whatever he shows me, I will tell you. And he went to a bare height. Then God met Balaam, and Balaam said to him, I have arranged seven altars and have offered a bull and a ram in each altar. The Lord put a word in Balaam's mouth and said, Return to Balak, and this is what you must say. So he returned to Balak, who was standing beside his burnt offerings with all the officials of Moab. Then Balaam uttered his oracle, saying, Balak has brought me from Aram, the king of Moab from the eastern mountains. Come, curse Jacob for me. Come, denounce Israel. How can I curse whom God has not cursed? How can I denounce those whom the Lord has not denounced? For from the top of the crags I see him, from the hills I behold him. Here is a people living alone and not reckoning itself among the nations. Who can count the dust of Jacob or number the dust cloud of Israel? Let me die the death of the upright and let me my end be like this. Then Balak said to Balaam, what have you done to me? I have brought you to curse my enemies, but now you have done nothing but bless them. He answered, must I not take care to say what the Lord puts in my mouth? So the offering has been set on these seven altars, um, an offering made in order to please, um, I assume the God that Balaam is, Balaam is speaking to, to do what Balak, the king, wants him to do, which is curse the Israelites. Um, but the word that he gets back from God is not a curse, but a, but a blessing. Um, a blessing on who? The Israelites. The Israelites, yeah. And this is not what Balak is seeking, right? He wants to just, he wants to go after them. But it's not safe or wise to do that yet. The story is a little, little convoluted, and especially the way it's written can be a little, a little dense. Um, so in, in his oracle, right, the king comes to him and says, curse and denounce Israel. But he says, God has not done this. God has not cursed them or denounced them, so how can I? So that's his, that's the first oracle, oracle of Balaam. Um, and then continuing. So Balak said to him, come with me to another place for which you may see them. You shall see only part of them and shall not see all of them. Then curse them for me from there. So he took them to the field of Zophim, to the top of Pisgah. He built seven altars and offered a bull and a ram on each altar. Balaam said to Balak, Stand here beside your burnt offerings while I meet the Lord over there. The Lord met Balaam, put a word in his mouth, and said, Return to Balak, and this is what you shall say. When he came to him, he was standing beside his burnt offerings with the officials of Moab. Balak said to him, What has the Lord said? Then Balaam uttered his oracle, oracle saying, Rise, Balak, and hear, listen to me, O son of Zippor. God is not a human being that he should lie, or a mortal that he should change his mind. He has promised, and will he not do it? He has spoken, and will he not fulfill it? See, I received a command to bless. He has blessed, and I cannot revoke it. He has not beheld misfortune in Jacob, nor has he seen trouble in Israel. The Lord their God is with them, acclaimed as a king among them. God who brings them out of Egypt is like the horns of a wild ox for them. Surely there is no enchantment against Jacob, no divination against Israel. Now it shall be said of Jacob and Israel, see what God has done. 
look, a people rising up like a lioness and rousing itself like a lion. It does not lie down until it has eaten the prey and drunk the blood of the slain. Then Balak said to Balaam, do not curse them at all and do not bless them at all. But Balaam answered, Balak, did I not tell you whatever the Lord says, that is what I must do? So Balak said to Balaam, come now, I will take you to another place. Perhaps it will please God that you may curse them for me from there. So Balak took Balaam to the top of Peor, which overlooks the wasteland. Balaam said to Balak, build me seven altars here and prepare seven bulls and seven rams for me. So Balak did as Balaam had said and offered a bull and ram on each altar. Um, okay, so this is just, he's going back, he's building these altars in order to please God into allowing the word to come down that the Israelites are not blessed but cursed. So seven altars in one place. Balaam speaks with, with God. Nope, still blessed. Seven altars in this next place. Balaam speaks with God again. Nope, people are still blessed. The king, Balak says, hey, one more place. We're going again. <laughs> so now they're at the next place. Now Balaam saw what it, that it pleased. Now Balaam saw that it pleased the Lord to bless Israel. So he did not go as at other times to look for omens, but set his face toward the wilderness. Balaam looked up and saw Israel camping tribe by tribe. Then the spirit of God came upon him and uttered his oracle saying, the oracle of Balaam, son of Beor, the oracle of the man whose eye is clear, the oracle of one who hears the words of God, who sees the vision of the almighty, who falls down, but with eyes uncovered. How fair are your tents, O Jacob, your encampments, O Israel, like palm groves that stretch far away, like gardens beside a river, like aloes that the Lord has planted, like cedar trees beside the waters. Water shall flow from his buckets and his seeds shall have abundant water. His king shall be higher than Agog and his kingdom shall be exalted. God who brings him out of Egypt is like the horns of a wild ox for him. He shall devour the nations that are his foes and break their bones. He shall strike with his arrows. He crouched, he lay down like a lion and like a lioness who will rouse him up. Blessed is everyone who blesses you, and cursed is everyone who curses you. Then Balak's anger was kindled against Balaam, and he struck his hands together. Balak said to Balaam, I summoned you to curse my enemies, but instead you have now blessed them these three times. Now be off with you. Go home. I said, I will reward you richly, but the Lord has denied you any reward. And Balaam said to Balak, Did I not tell your messengers whom you sent to me? If Balak should give me his house full of silver and gold, I would not be able to go beyond the word of the Lord, to do either good or bad of my own will. What the Lord says, that is what I will say. So now I am going to my people. Let me advise you what this people will do to your people in days to come. So he utters his, his oracle, saying, The oracle of Balaam, son of Beor, the oracle of the man whose eye is clear, the oracle of one who hears the words of God and knows the knowledge of the Most High, who sees the vision of the Almighty, who falls down, but with eyes uncovered. I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob. A scepter shall rise out of Israel. It shall crush the borderlands of Moab and the territory of all the Shethites. Edom will become a possession, Seir a possession of its enemies, while Israel does valiantly. One out of Jacob shall rule and destroy the survivors of Ur. Then he looked at Amalek 
and uttered his oracle, saying, First among the nations was Amalek, but its end is to perish forever. Then he looked on the Kenite and uttered his oracle, saying, Enduring is your dwelling place, and your nest is set in the rock. Yet Cain is not is destined for burning, and how long shall Asher take your, away your captive? Again he uttered his oracle, saying, Alas, who shall live when God does this? But ships, ships shall come from Kittim, and shall afflict Asher and Eber, and he also shall perish forever. Then Balaam got up and went back to his place, and Balak also on his way. Wait a minute. They're out in the deserts and the mountains. Yeah. Now they're talking about a ship coming. Does that mean the Greeks or the Romans? At a later date? A ship. Yeah, but ships shall come. Oh, no. No, no. Well, what are the ships? I think they're the Israelites. Oh. Because these are, these are all the border nations that, that the Israelites, I think, that it's pretty consistent. So these are the Israelites that are blessed, and they're going to they're gonna be able to take all the border nations for their own. So they're not literally talking about ships? Mm, they might be. I don't know if they sailed much. I don't think they did. Well, I they, go, well, they had boats. On. They had boats. Maybe they if they were sailing. They to sail on. Well... Not right now, but this is a this is an oracle into the future. Oh. Basically saying that these are the people that are gonna they're gonna win. And they're gonna come and burn all your cities down and destroy all of you and throw you down. You're all gonna perish forever. It's not a positive oracle for all these kings no. that have gathered. <laughs> no. It's interesting that that, there, that God is present in the other country, but then they also have gods. Yeah. But so, but this Balaam can speak to the Almighty God. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean that's true. The people in that area had each one of them had their gods. All right. Let's pick it up at 25. Okay. Um, while Israel dwelt in Shittim, the people began to play the harlot with the daughters of Moab. These invited the people to the sacrifices of their gods, and the people ate and bowed down to their gods. So Israel yoked himself to Baal of Peor. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. And the Lord said to Moses, Take all the chiefs of the people and hang them in the sun before the Lord, that the fierce anger of the Lord may turn away from Israel. And Moses said to the judges of Israel, Every one of you slay his men who have yoked themselves to Baal or Peor. And behold, one of the people of Israel came and brought a Midianite woman to his family. In the sight of Moses and in the sight of the whole congregation of the people of Israel, while they were weeping at the door of the tent of meeting. When Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, son of Aaron the priest, saw it, he rose and left the congregation 
and took a spear in his hand and went up to the man of Israel into the inner room and pierced both of them, the men of Israel and the woman, through her body. Thus the plague was stayed from the people of Israel. Nevertheless, those that died by the plague were 24,000. And the Lord said to Moses, Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, son of Aaron the priest, has turned back my wrath from the people of Israel, in that he was jealous with my jealousy among them, so that I did not consume the people of Israel in my jealousy. Therefore say, Behold, I give to him my covenant of peace, and it shall be to him and to his descendants after him the covenant of a perpetual priesthood, because he was jealous for his God and made atonement for the people of Israel. The name of the slain man of Israel, who was slain with the Midianite woman, was Zimri, the son of Salu, head of a father's house belonging to the Simeonites. And the name of the Midianite woman who was slain was Cosby, the daughter of Zer, who was the head of the people of a father's house in, of a father's house in Midian. And the Lord said to Moses, Harass the Midianites and smite them, for they have harassed you with their wiles, with which they beguiled you in the matter of Peor, and in the matter of Cosy, the daughter of the prince of Midian, their sister, who was slain on the day of the plagues on account of Peor. Okay, so there's a there's a bit of a juxtaposition here. So we get this internal story from the opponents of the Israelites. Right? This is the whole Balaam story. So this is a bunch of non-Israelites. What do they come to understand about the Israelites? They're the chosen ones. They're blessed, right? They're blessed. They're chosen by God for this to, to take the land. Okay, what do the Israelites go and do? Mess up. Go yep. to Baal. Yes. So they start sleeping with the Midianite women and they start offering offerings to their to their god Baal. And um, yeah, they mess up. So uh, a plague befalls them, 24,000, but not after, uh, but only after, I should say, the, uh, um, the one of the priests basically just goes out and starts stabbing with jealous anger for God. So they, they're having issues again. It will not be the last time. All right, Mary, pick it up at 26. Okay. After the plague, the Lord said to Moses and to Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the priest, take a census for all the congregation of the people of Israel uh, from 20 years old and upward by their father's house, all in Israel who are able to go forth to war. And Moses said to Eleazar, the priest spoke to me with them in the plains of Moab by the Jordan at Jericho, saying, Take a census of the people from 20 years old and upward, as the Lord commanded Moses, the people of Israel who came forth out of the land of Egypt were Reuben, ah, here, here's the, the 12 tribes evidently, huh? Reuben, the firstborn of Israel, the son of Reuben, of Hanak, uh, the family of the Hanakites, of Pali, the family of the Pelutites, of Herzan, the family of the Herzanites, of 
Camry, the family of the Camerites. These are the families of the uh, Reubenites, and their numbers was 43,730. And the sons of Palu, Eliab, the son of Eliab, Nemula, uh, Daphne, and Abram, and these are the Daphne and Abram's chosen from the congregation who contend against Moses and Aaron in the uh, company of Korah when they contended against the Lord. And the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them up together with Korah when the, that company died, when the fire devoured 250 men and they became, became a warning. Thus, notwithstanding the sons of Korah did not die. Not, okay. Withstanding the sons of Korah did, they, did not die. Well, I don't understand that. That's another bunch of people they're talking about that he hasn't mentioned before. Well, it sounds like Korah's, Korah was swallowed up, but his sons were not. Is mm -hmm. that correct? Yeah. Okay. The sons of Simeon, according to their families, of Nemuel, the family of Nemuelites, of Jamin, the family of the Jamonites, of, of Jackim, the family of the Jacksonites, of Zedar, the family of the uh, Zarephites, of Zalu, the family of the Zalulites. These are the families of the Simonites, 22,200. The sons of Gad, according to their families, of Zeman, the family of the Zebanites, the family of the Haganites, of Zuna, the family of the Zunites, of Oz, and the family of the Ozanites, of Eri, the family of the Erites, of Aaron, the family of the Aaronites, of Erili, the family of the Aralites. These are the families of the sons of Gad, according to the number 40,500. <coughs> the sons of Judah were Er and Owen, and Er and Owen died in the land of Canaan. And the sons of Judah, according to their families, were of uh, Zelah, the family of the Zelanites of Perez, the family of the Perezites of Zerah, the family of the Zeranites, and sons of Perez were of Heron, Herzon, the family of the Herzonites of Hamel, and the family of the Hamulites. These are the families of Judah, according to their number. 76,500. The sons of Ishkar, according to their families, of Tola, the family of the Tolanites, the families of the Punites, of Zach, the families of the uh, Zachabites, of Simran, the family of the Simranites. These are the families of Ishkar, according to their number, 64,300. Do we go through the 12 tribes of Israel? What's that? Do we go through all 12 tribes? You're about halfway there. Oh, yeah, we can <laughs> We can skip to 35. Skip to 35? Yeah. Okay. It's all names till then. And actually, wait a minute. Uh, oh, this is the whole census. All right, we can skip to chapter 27. 
So we'll, we'll, let's take a second and skim that before we pick up a 27 because we're, we're into the names. They're doing the census. Who belongs to what tribes? Who belongs to what clans? It, this is very interesting that they're taking the census this early because, uh, you know, the story of, of Jesus, the Romans order the census. Mm -hmm. They all go to be counted. Yeah. I but they, yet they were censusing long before that, evidently. Oh yeah, well, it, you you need to prepare for it's it's for military, right? You're preparing. Well, you're preparing to order the site, so that's military. You're preparing to take the land. Um, it's part preparation for established society where you know family lineages and lines, um, and just to get a. They've done the counts before, um, as they've as they've been in the desert, but this is. I think the most thorough of the census that's been a thorough is, census taken. This one got very large. Yes. All right, we'll pick up at 27. Then the daughters of Zelophehad came forward. Zelophehad and was a son of Hefer, son of Gilead, son of Machir, son of Manasseh, son of Joseph, and a member of the Massonite clans. The names of the daughters were... Mala, Noah, Hagla, Milka, and Tizar. Tizar. Teza. They stood before Moses, Eleazar the priest and the leaders, and all the congregation at the entrance of the tent of meeting and said, Our father died in the wilderness. He was not among the company of those who gathered themselves together against the Lord in the company of Korah, but died for his own sin, and he had no sons. Why should the name of our father be taken away from his clan because he had no son? Give us a possession among our father's brothers. Moses brought their case before the Lord, and the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, The daughters of Zelophehad are right in what they are saying. You shall indeed let them possess the inheritance among their father's brothers, and pass their inheritance of their father on them. You shall also say to the Israelites, If a man dies and has no son, then you shall pass his inheritance on to his daughter. If he has no daughter, then you shall give his inheritance to his brothers. If he has no brothers, then you shall give his inheritance to his father's brothers. And if his father has no brothers, then you shall give his inheritance to the nearest kinsman of his clan, and he shall possess it. It shall be for the Israelites a statue and ordinance, as the Lord commanded Moses. Um, so this is, this is sort of a big deal. Um, Getting the land of possession, the wealth. Yeah, but what does it also, what does it also take away the need for? What carriage? Uh well, they'd probably still want to. They'd, they'd still probably be married, I would think. Um, they're still going to need their own children. To do, right. to do stuff. But what carries on your lineage? Or how has the lineage been passed? From father to son. Father to son, right? And with, with the lineage and with the heritage comes the actual possessions of it. Um, so if this has been a... So when they're talking about the name, of the, the name of the clan, they're talking about the heritage, the lineage, and the possessions. So... If the daughters come up and this is this is the request, what was probably the prior result if you didn't have a male heir? 
did without. No, they got married off too. Well, the daughters get married off, but you die out and all your stuff goes away. Um, so it either gets absorbed back into the community. There's no real clear line for this. The assumption is you're just going to have a son in there somewhere. Okay, but what happens when you don't? Here are these four or five daughters saying, well, wait a minute. You know, what happens to all our family stuff? Right. Um, they very well might be married into other families, but they still have their own they stuff. They still have inheritance from their own body. That they're not going to get now. And that there was no procedure for it. Maybe it just evaporated back into the community or other people claimed it or something like this. So this lays out a very detailed kind of line of succession, if you will. Um, all right, if there's no sons, it goes to the daughters. Um, it's still going to revert back to, what we call that? The male preference. Um, it, it, it'll still revert back to that. So the daughters first. Okay, then if he has no sons or daughters. All right, then it goes to the, the man's brothers. Um, all right, if he has no brothers, then it goes to you know, his father's brothers, or if his father didn't have any brothers, then it goes to the nearest kinsman. Um, so it's not full equality in egalitarianism. It's the daughters get it if there's no sons. And if there's no daughters, then it goes to basically the next closest males um, in the line. But it keeps, it keeps the, both the legacy and the possessions as a part of the, the clan, the family. Whereas before that wasn't necessarily established as any kind of right or ordinance. The Lord said to Mo start picking up at 12. The Lord said to Moses, go up this mountain of the Abarim range and see the land that I have given to the Israelites. When you have seen it, you shall be gathered to your people as your brother Aaron was because you rebelled against the word in the wilderness of Zin. When the congregation quarreled with me, you did not show my holiness before their eyes at the waters. These are the waters of Meribah in the wilderness of Zin. Moses spoke to the Lord, saying, Let the Lord, the God of the spirits of all flesh, appoint someone over the congregation, who shall go out before them and come in before them, who shall lead them out and bring them in, so that the congregation of the Lord may not be like sheep without a shepherd. So the Lord said to Moses, Take Joshua, son of Nun, a man in whom is in the spirit, and lay your hand upon him. Have him stand before Eleazar the priest and all the congregation and commission him in their sight. You shall give him some of your authority so that all the congregation of the Israelites may obey. But he shall stand before Eleazar the priest who shall inquire of him by the decision of the Urim before the Lord. At his word they shall go out and at his word they shall come in both he and all the Israelites with him, the whole congregation. So Moses did as the Lord commanded him. He took Joshua and had him stand before Eleazar, the priest and the whole congregation. He laid his hands on him and commissioned him as the Lord had directed through Moses. Um, Moses is passing on the blessing physically or he has somebody else to do it? It's both. Um, so first, first Moses is going to lay his hand upon him and then cede to him some of his authority. Then he's going to take him to stand before the priest and the whole congregation. Um, 
and then the priest is going to lay his hands on him and commission him. So Moses it take, is getting to be awfully old. Moses is getting to be awfully old. Which is Which why is, he can't he can't go to the Holy Land. He's, well, no, he can't go to the Holy Land. He's made God man. That was that was in there. Because um, he lived to see the other people. He lived to see the others come, yes. right? We're right. We're right. We're right about there. Yeah. But Moses, um, he's getting older and he's passing on his authority. And God is passing on his authority from Moses. And that's been a sort, sort of steady, steady thing that's occurred. Oh, let's see here. So next, this is going to come into a whole bunch of ordinances for offerings um, and what's to be given. Maybe we can skim some of this. So this is going to go chapters 28 and 29. Various offerings to be made daily at Sabbath, monthly at the festivals of Passover, um, on the Day of Atonement, Festival of the Booths. So yeah, if we skim these, because these will these will kind of just lay out the the various offerings. And then we'll jump to chapter 30 and we'll finish with 30 for the day. Then Moses said to the heads of the tribes of the Israelites, this is what the Lord has commanded. When a man makes a vow to the Lord or swears an oath to bind himself by a pledge, he shall not break his word. He shall do according to what to all that proceeds out of his mouth. When a woman makes a vow to the Lord or binds herself by a pledge, while within her father's house in her youth, and her father hears of her vow or her pledge by which she has bound herself and says nothing to her, then all her vows shall stand, and any pledge by which she has bound herself self, self shall stand. But if her father expresses disapproval to her at the time that he hears of it, no vows of hers and no pledge by which she has bound herself shall stand, and the Lord will forgive her because her father had expressed to her his disapproval. If she marries while obligated by her vows or any thoughtless utterance of her lips by which she has bound herself, and her father hears of it and says nothing to her at the time that he hears it, then her vows shall stand, and her pledges by which, he, by which she has bound herself shall stand. But if at the time that her husband hears of it, he expresses disapproval to her, then he shall nullify the vow by which she was obligated, or the thoughtless utterance of her lips, by which she bound herself, and the Lord will forgive her. But every vow of a widow or of a divorced woman by which she has bound herself shall be binding upon her. And if she made a vow in her husband's house or bound herself by a pledge with an oath, and her husband heard it and said nothing to her and did not express disapproval to her, then all her vows shall stand, and any pledge by which she bound herself shall stand. But if her husband nullifies them at the time that he hears them, then whatever proceeds out of her lips concerning her vows or concerning her pledge of herself shall not stand. Her husband has nullified them at the 
and the Lord will forgive her. Any vow or any binding oath to deny, to deny herself, her husband may uh, allow to stand, or her husband may nullify. If her husband says nothing to her from the day, from day to day, then he validates all her vows or all her pledges by which she is obliged. He has validated them because he has said nothing to her at the time that he heard of them. But if he nullifies them some time after he has heard of them, then he shall bear her guilt. These are the statutes that the Lord commanded Moses concerning a husband and wife and a father and daughter while she is still young and in her father's house. Okay. So <laughs> young girls can be careless and uh, their father can forgive them. And so can their husband. You know, How very convenient. Well, it's, and it's talking about, it is interesting that it, you don't always want to read into what's not there. Um, it doesn't say anything about young men or boys, which is kind of interesting. And maybe that's because, I don't know at what point, well, I mean, modern tradition is the 13-year-old you know, the, the bar mitzvah and all that kind of stuff. That's that's when you become a man. So maybe there is just boy and man, and maybe women have these, I don't know, a different sort of stage where they're yet married, but they're still not considered... Well, the, the, women, don't, the women don't have that transition, I guess, because they're girls, and then they're, they're still under their father, even when they're young women, like post teenage or teenage sort of years and then they're married so they don't they don't mature into the same level of societal autonomy whereas the men they're children and then they're men it's just you you kind of flip over one or the other right um so this does i mean it very much establishes a disequal hierarchy within the within the marriage and, and societally among men and women. Um, when it's talking of the vows that could be made, um, you know, anything that's sworn that, that someone will do is expected to be kept. Um, whether that's a big thing or a little thing, that's the expectation. It's always been the expectation. So for the, for the men, they, they get the privilege of being able to do that on their own, but they also don't get an out either, in a sense. Um, the women don't necessarily get an out either because it just requires the approval of the male in charge of them, so to speak, I guess is a way to put it. So whether it's the husband or the father, but it's like a one-time thing. So when they make the vow, the, the husband or father can nullify it then, but if they don't, then it stands. Um, so I don't, I, I don't know the whole history behind this, what the, what the common, how often things would have been vowed and pledged like this. I assume it was common to like, you know, even small matter of commerce to I will dedicate my life to God in this way or, or, or that way. Um, where you're making this pledge and swearing, swearing by God that you will do these things. Um, but...
It'd be interesting to know, too, if there was like a formal thing, which obviously the women couldn't make vows without the man hearing it. I mean, that's the point. The man's got to hear it and say, okay or not okay. Right. So that's like, was there a specific formal time that that was done or is it just, you know what I mean? Yeah. That would be interesting to know or like if on, you know, whatever day of the, whenever yeah, a, a woman wanted to make a vow, she would need to go to the man and say, I'm, this is what I want to do. Yeah. I, I, I don't know. That would be interesting. To, I, it would be. And maybe they don't know the whole practice behind this. I'd imagine right. they, they don't necessarily. Are you implying that the vow is is like either one of marriage and going into the other family or becoming a, a, a servant of God? It, I, I, think, I think it's any time that you're, you're swearing to something and making it. So I think it could be as small as like, I swear I will buy you a new horse. Or... I'm, I will. It's it's contractual. It's it's making these contracts that are binding, and so you could have. A, that's why I said you could have the economic sort of factor, or it could be like, yes, I'm going to serve the Lord by praying this way, or doing this, or or doing that. Or I'm going to babysit your my sister's my niece every Tuesday. You yeah, know, like just any. That's the way I would. You know, like you're making a commitment about what you're going to do. Right, right. So that I think that too um, could be part of it. The other, so it's once you're a man, you make one. You cannot break it. What status of woman can make vows? Divorced or widowed. Divorced or widowed, right? They're on their own. They can, and so they're in the same boat as the men then. Um, Part of the reason, well, again, part of the reason is because it's this unequal hierarchy. Part of the reason that it requires the male approval is what's said at the end. That he's responsible for. Right. Yeah. Right. And presumably that doesn't necessarily flow the other way. So the husband can make a vow. It's not a sin of the wife if the husband doesn't fulfill his vow. It's a sin on the man they're more, more responsible, quote-unquote, in the yes, system. Right. But the man is responsible for the wife. And if she makes a vow and she doesn't follow through with it, if, yeah. and, he, and he okayed it, in a sense, it's also on him then. So. And I kind of, I don't mean like and like, like this system, but I do like the one thing, too, is that for the, for the men, you can't agree to it and then come back later and, and say you right. don't. So you got to make your decision now. And once, That's very interesting, isn't it? And then you're stuck with it. Yeah. So there, you, there's no revision. Of this no, there's no try it out. Way. There's no try it out. <laughs> so that's that's not easy on anybody. I mean, it's certainly not easy on the men because they're. I mean, it's unequal, obviously, but it's not easy on the men. It's harder. That's a lot of responsibility because you're like. I mean, we still share those levels of responsibility within marriage now. Most of the time, it's more shared, I would think and yeah, hope. But it's, right. you know, if uh, if your spouse goes out and buys X, Y, or Z, 
you're on the hook for it too. Yeah, sure. It just doesn't. You can't just say, "Well, that was that was them." That, right, that's I didn't do. want that. Yeah, it has nothing to do with me. I don't know. You're right. on, you're on the hook for it too. So, right. like I always like I always like to point out, if much like the case with those daughters and the inheritance, anything that comes up is usually addressing something that's that's out there and is an issue. Right. So you wonder what the that maybe that did keep coming. Well, she made a vow, but I didn't. I'm not responsible for that. You know, no, yeah, yeah, you are. So this this kind of lays the clear, you know, shows that clarity for what's what's what here. Um, but we will we will end there today. I think we'll finish. Oh, not next week. No, no Bible study next week. Um, I need to put that out. I need. I'm going to do my Thanksgiving traveling Monday through Tuesday. So, um, so we'll be off next week. But, uh, but we should finish finish this the next time we gather. The Lord be with you. God, we give you thanks for the opportunity to fellowship and come together around your word to, to learn, to ask questions, and to grow in our knowledge of you and of your history with your people. Gather our hearts and our minds in this moment and bless us this day as we remember the words our Lord has taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Next week is Thanksgiving.